All right. Uh, I can't say good morning, everyone. But I suppose I should say good night, but that wouldn't be appropriate. <laughs> good evening. Yeah, that, that's a good one. Let's open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Even though we have a small crowd tonight, um, God's word is sufficient for all things. Big crowds, small crowds, and uh, all in between there. So let's open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. And I'm filling in for Dave tonight. He's, um, we're going to have a little break here, and we're going to talk about sin and overcoming sin. Um, I think that's a good segue, what Pastor just read about, about the, God's Word. We know that the Word cleanses us. Um, as we read it, as we learn, um, and we're directed in the right pattern of life. So Romans chapter 6, and the verses that we're going to concentrate on tonight are verses 12 through 14. However, (laughs) we're going to start in chapter 5, verse 20, just to get a little bit of context, uh, because 12 through 14 starts with a therefore, and we all know what therefore means. Everything that came before it, we have to talk about it. So we are going to cover verses, chapter 5, verse 20, all the way through chapter 6, verse 14, but we're going to concentrate on 12 through 14. I'd like to start by giving you a little bit of explanation of what's going on here in this situation. Uh, We can't just jump right into chapter 6, verse 12, where it says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. But... Let's talk a little bit about the city of Rome, uh, a big city uh, during its time period. Um, it's a vile, corrupt city. Um, it's the capital of the Roman Empire. It's kind of like Sodom and Gomorrah, Las Vegas, New York, Minneapolis, Los Angeles, <laughs> so on and so forth. But this is a vile city, a very vile city during its time period. Well, uh, Paul wants to give mutual encouragement. We see that in chapter 1, verse 11 through 12. He, he wants to have mutual encouragement. So Christians need encouragement. Paul needs encouragement to continue on his missionary journey. And he wants to encourage others by what you might say by the preaching of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 15 Paul is eager to preach the gospel. What's important here is he's eager to preach the gospel to believers. The gospel is not just for unbelievers. It's for believers too. So he's eager to preach the gospel, chapter 1, verse 15. And we know that they're believers because in chapter 1, verse 80, he talks about their faith and how strong their faith is and that he heard of their faith. And these are likely believers that were converted on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 11. It mentions them as one of the groups when they said that we can hear them in our own languages. Um, How is it that we can hear them speak in our own languages when the tongues such as fire fell upon them? So we know that uh, it's likely that these are believers from the day of Pentecost that have come back. And so here's an outline of the book of Romans up until chapter 6. Well, chapter 1 through 2 covers sin and guilt. 
In particular, the theme of Romans is in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And we'll go there and read that. Chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 is the theme of Romans. And Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous will live by faith. So we see here that Paul talks about the gospel and the power of the gospel and is powerful for salvation. And then in chapter 1, 18 through 229, Paul tells each person how we're all guilty of sin. Everyone is guilty of sin and worthy of the wrath of God. Every single person, regardless of who you are, we're all guilty of sin, all deserving of the wrath of God. And then in chapter 3 through 5, Paul teaches justification by faith, by the grace of God. Justification by faith, by the grace of God. In particular, chapter 3, verse 1 through 20, he says, no one is righteous and works can't save you. No one is righteous, not even one. In chapter 3, verse 21 through 521, Paul, Paul speaks of salvation only by faith in the one and only Jesus Christ. And so 521 says, so that as sin reign in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that ends the section on justification by faith in the grace of God. So sin reigned in death, but the grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we see no one is righteous, not even one, when we're only saved by faith. This brings into the section of chapter 6 through 8. And chapter 6 through 8 speaks of sanctification. So we've gone from justification to sanctification. Justification says you're, you're no longer guilty of sin. Sanctification says now live by it. And that brings us to chapter 6, verse 1. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Why is he asking this question? Because in chapter 5, verse 20, Paul said the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So Paul can foresee the question that's coming. Since he's teaching uh, justification by God's grace alone, he can foresee the question is, should we continue to sin so that grace may increase? Because grace brought about the increase of sin. Because the believer knows that they sin more by hearing the law. And so therefore grace supersedes, it's overwhelming, it overcomes sin because Christ's death on the cross overcomes sin. And Paul can foresee this question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? That's the question of chapter 6, verse 1. The answer to that question follows in verses 2 through 11. That's the answer to the question of chapter 6, verse 1. And like I said, I want to remind you, the main text is 12 through 14, but we've got to build up to it here. 
So in 6.2, he starts to answer the question. In 6.2, he says, may it never be. That's a short answer. Never, ever, ever. The strongest uh, statement you can make. Never. Not even close, he's saying. May it never be. That's a short answer for the long answer that's to follow. And he's going to follow with why. He says, how shall we who die to sin still live in it? So number one, believers have died to sin. Believers have died to sin. That's why we're not to continue in sin so that grace may increase. Number one, we've died to sin. How have we died to sin? That brings us to verse three. He says, or do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We've died to sin because we were baptized into Christ's death. That's why we've died to sin. What's the result of being baptized into Christ's death? That brings us to verse (laughs) 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. So that, here we go, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So the result is Christ's resurrection allows us to walk in newness of life. That's why we are not to continue in sin so that grace may increase because we have newness of life. (laughs) And then you might say, well, why do we have, uh, why is that? What's what's the reason behind that newness of life? And that brings us to 6.5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. That's why we have newness of life, because we are in the likeness of his resurrection and the likeness of his death. Now, he uses the term likeness here because it's not the exact same. We didn't die the same death that Christ died, and we're not resurrected in the same manner that Christ uh, was resurrected. But there is a likeness there. Well, how is that? How is that? And that brings us to verse 6. Knowing that our old man was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So how? The old man was crucified. The old man. Who's the old man? It's our old self in Adam. We're born in Adam, born in sin. So the old man is done away with. Not all of our sins. We're still ourselves and we still have sin. But our old man is done away with. The old self in Adam. What's the result of that? Our body of sin will be done away with. (laughs) So since the old man is gone, the body of sin will be done away with. Therefore, we're no longer slaves of sin. We're no longer in Adam. And then you might say, why is that? And that brings us to verse 7. For he who has died has been justified from sin. Well, he's not guilty from sin. He's not guilty of sin, he who has died. You see, Paul is building up an argument here like he always does. He's adding on and adding on until we get to verse 11. So, Verse 8 says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We died with Christ, we live with Christ. Everything that happens to Christ has happened to us. Verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. 
death no longer is master over him. So Christ never dies again, and we never die again. We are spiritually dead to sin. We don't have to redo that all over again. It's once and for all. Death no longer is master over Christ, and sin is no longer master over us because Christ killed sin on the cross. The power of sin. Not the presence, but the power of sin over our lives. And then in verse 10, it says, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. It sounds like he keeps saying the same thing over and over again because he is. So, verse 10, Christ died to sin once for all. Sin no longer is master over the believer. Christ died to sin, he lives to God. We die to sin, and we live to God. That's the key. We die to sin, and we live to God because we are united with Christ. That is saying a lot. That's saying a lot. Right now, at this point, we should be thinking, wow, there's no way I can continue to live the way that I used to live because I'm no longer my old self. Well, verse 11 gives a summary of 6, 1 through 10. And basically what Paul is saying here is, in verse 11 he says, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What he's saying here is, believe it, know it, consider the truth. And what are you to consider? You're dead to sin but alive to to God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, know this, believe it. That's a big statement. Because that leads to your actions. If you know this and you believe that you are in Christ and you're dead to sin and alive in Christ, therefore, if you know this, act on it. If you believe this, act on it. We're united to Christ in death and life. We also have died to the power of sin in our lives. To the power of sin in our lives. That is a huge statement that's really important. And now... That brings us to the text for tonight, to the point of verse 12 through 14. That's why the therefore is there. He's saying, based off of all these truths that he just said, that we're basically, in summary, in Christ, and we've died to sin and we're alive to God. Based off of this truth, and if you know that and you recognize it and you consider that to be true, Live your lives accordingly. That's the point of verses 12 through 14. And Paul flushes this out with two negative statements and two positive statements. So the negative statement, the first one, um, he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. So that's our first negative statement. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Well, he says, do not. That's an imperative. That's something we must do. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Well, how does sin reign in your body? Well, first, let's talk about the word reign. It means to rule, to completely control the king over you. Think about that for a minute. The king over you. 
Do not let sin be the king in your life. That's what he's saying here. Don't let it reign as, as superior over your life. The only way sin can reign in your life is if you obey it. <laughs> so the obvious answer is to resist sin. <laughs> resist sin. Mortify sin. Don't let it reign in your mortal body. Mortify it. Daily, constantly is what Paul's saying here. Don't let it reign in your mortal body. You notice Paul doesn't say, let go, let God. He says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Why? Because you're no longer slaves to sin. You're not a slave to sin. You have a new master. I like the sound of that. Wow, you're no longer slaves of sin. You have a new master. Well, in verse 15, let's go down to verse 15. Paul says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you go on presenting yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were given over. And Pastor Steve just talked about the word of God in Psalm 119 and how his word is so powerful. So resist, mortify sin, reject it. You're not a slave to sin anymore. And down in verse 20 of chapter 6. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then having from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, your new master, you have your benefit leading to sanctification and the end eternal life. So the benefit of being enslaved to God is sanctification. That's beautiful. That means no matter how good I try to do things and I fail, it doesn't matter because I am a slave to God who works through me. I don't have to count on my own good works and my own righteousness. God works through me. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. No longer slaves to sin. You can only have one master. Only one. There is no in-between. There's no medium ground. Listen at what Christ says in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. So the question is, who is your master? Who is your master? Well, he says another negative statement in verse 13. 
He says, and do not go on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Do not go on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. What's the members? The parts of your body. Don't go on presenting the parts of your body as instruments of unrighteousness. An instrument is a tool for warfare. It's a word for a tool for warfare. It's speaking of spiritual warfare here. Don't let your instruments, your parts of your body be tools for warfare for the wrong side, the side of unrighteousness against God. Don't let your tools be against God. Think about that for a minute. They're not neutral. Don't let the tools, the instruments of your body be against God. You're on the wrong side of the spiritual warfare then. Think about, number one, we're going to mention four parts that I think are very important of these members of your body. Number one, your eyes. What do you gaze upon at night, in the morning, in the afternoon? What do you gaze upon when you wake up? Is it on God's word or other things? Because what you see is what you feed into your brain. What are you watching on television, on your computer? What's before your eyes? Is that an instrument for unrighteousness? What about your ears? What do you listen to? What do you subject your ears to? To gossip? To wretched things? Are you a part of a bad-mouthing people? Do you sit back and listen to things like that? How about your feet? Where do your feet wander? Are you going to the bar in the middle of the night? Are you going places you shouldn't go? Are you spending time in places you shouldn't be spending time? And lastly, how about your hands? What are you doing with your hands? Are you using money for the wrong purposes? Are you swindling money? Are you cheating people with your hands? These are our members of our body. Are are you using them as instruments of unrighteousness or of righteousness? This is a conscious effort that we need to do. And Paul says, do not go on presenting your members to sin. Do not do that. So we have these two negatives, and now we're going to talk about the two positives. In the second half of verse 13, Paul says, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Now notice that the first negative said, or the second negative said, 
do not go on presenting your members to sin. To sin. And now he says, do present yourselves to God. And once again, I want to ask you, who's your master? Who's your master? Are you presenting yourself to sin or to God? He says, do present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Now, I'm sure that rings in your ear of Ephesians chapter 2. And let's turn there, Ephesians chapter 2, and keep your finger in Romans. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and just keep this in your mind as those alive from the dead. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you were, and he's talking to believers here, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working and the sons of disobedient. That's what those believers were. They were dead in their sins. They were dead. And then back to Romans, and let's go to Romans 12. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, Therefore I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies... As a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. So do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is your spiritual service of worship. So present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. A living sacrifice. The second positive. The second positive. Also in verse 13. And he says, and your members. Well, he's talking about presenting yourself. So he says, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. And present your members as instruments of, un- of righteousness to God. Present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. There's to God again. Remember earlier he said, do not go on presenting your members to sin. And now he says, to God again. So the positive, he says, do present yourselves to God. Once again, I say, who is your master? Present yourselves as instruments of righteousness. An instrument is used by the user. Be an instrument of righteousness to God. Romans 13, 11 through 14, talks about putting on and putting off. And what he's speaking of here, and we're going to read that, he's speaking of not putting off your old self and putting on your your new self. That's already been done if you're a believer because you're no longer your old self in Adam. He's talking about putting off the old behaviors of the old self and putting on the new behaviors of your new self because you already are your new self. Romans 13, 11 says, and do this knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. 
For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Spiritual warfare. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to his lust. Man, that's beautiful. That means we don't have to sin. (laughs) Put it off. Put on your new self. Back to Romans 6, verse 14. And I know this is a shorter message tonight. I'm supposed to be short here, so. (laughs) Romans chapter 6, verse 14. And he says, For, this is a summary of all that has been said in 12 and 13, mostly of the whole chapter 6 so far. He says, For sin shall not be master over you. Sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. I love that. That's beautiful. Sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Number one realization here. Believers are born again. We're new people. We're born again. We're brand new. Number two, believers are led by the Holy Spirit. The grace of God. And we're going to talk about what the grace of God does. Just remember these points that I'm about to make here. Believers are led by the Holy Spirit. Number three, due to the grace of Christ, the grace of God through Christ, we have been regenerated. Wow. Brand new is what I'm saying. Christ destroyed the power of sin. He destroyed the power of sin in our lives. Not the presence, but the power. That means we're freed from the reign of sin. We're freed from the reign of sin. We died to sin. The old man, Adam, in Adam is gone. We know the truth, but we need to remember that truth, that we're we're dead to sin. We have to remember that. We have to consider that to be true and have faith that we're dead to sin. We have to believe that and hold true to it and have assurance in the fact that we're new creatures in Christ. We're in Christ. We're able to resist sin. And we now want to do what's right and to reject what's wrong. We want to do what's right and to reject what's wrong. Because we're regenerated, that was the beginning of the, the work that God did in us. That's not the end. That was the beginning. And the beginning leads into our sanctification. Christ lives to God. He lives to God, not to mortal flesh. His kingdom is of another world. His kingdom is of heaven. And we are citizens of heaven. 
We're not like the world. We follow a different king. First John chapter 2, you don't have to flip there, I'll do it myself. First John chapter 2 says, 15 and 17 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. The one who does the will of God. So do not love the world. That's our sanctification. Don't love the world. Love Christ. Recognize that we are sojourners in this land. Our kingdom is of Christ's kingdom. We're citizens of heaven. Therefore, we act like citizens of heaven. We represent Christ here on earth. Philippians chapter 2, 12 to 13 says, work out your salvation. (laughs) Why? Because it's God that works in us. Wow. Work out your salvation. Why? Because God works in us. I don't know about you guys, but that's beautiful to me. That takes the pressure off. It makes me want to be obedient to God. I can work out my salvation because I know that he is working in me. It's not up to me, myself, all by myself. We understand and know the truth of verses 1 through 11. Therefore, we respond to that truth. We believe that truth. He says, you're not under law, but under grace. And why is he saying that? Because the law condemns. It says you're guilty of sin. And there's no way you can live up to God's law. You fall short 100% of the time. God's law is so huge. Our sins are so huge. We fail God's law all the time. We could never live up to it. It's trying to please someone who hates you. God doesn't hate us, but that's what it's like. You can never live up to God's law. It condemns you. It says you're guilty. Paul says, I would not have known coveting if it weren't for the law. But because of God's grace and the work of Christ, we're innocent. That's where grace, that's why we live by grace. We're innocent. And we're going to go to Romans 7, one page over in mine. Romans seven twenty four. And Paul says... I love this verse because I, <laughs> I, feel, I feel Paul's pain here. <laughs> Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Christ, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what grace is. He knows that on his own will and his own doing, he's doomed. But in Christ, we're free. Titus chapter 2. We're going to go to Titus and then Peter, and then we'll be done. Titus chapter 2, 
down at verse 11. This is beautiful. This is why we're under grace and not law. And Paul says, for the grace of God has appeared. He's talking about Christ here. He's the appearance of God's grace, bringing salvation to all men. Listen to this. Instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly desires, there's that worldliness again, we should live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age right now. (laughs) It's not let go, let God. We should live righteously and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and purity for himself, a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Are you excited? Are you zealous for good works? Paul was zealous for the law. (laughs) But are you zealous for good works? Man, Christ gave himself for us. He redeemed us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people of his own possession. We belong to Christ. We belong to his kingdom. And now over to the last portion in 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Chapter 1. Verse 3. This is another beautiful section of God's grace and how we can reject sin and live to God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. There's that born again. To what? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Well, that was First Peter, but I'll go to Second Peter. That was good stuff. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, so Second Peter, I'm sorry. Chapter 1, verse 3. That is good, though. It goes with this. All right, here we go. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the full knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And here's the key right here. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, this is hard work, focus is what he's saying here. In your faith, supply. He's saying to do, you do this. Supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. 
Then he even says, for if these things are yours and are increasing, he doesn't even just say do those things. They should be increasing. They render you neither useless or unfruitful in the full knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only should you be doing these things, but they should be increasing. So what is Paul saying here altogether? And Peter. What are they saying here? There's no excuse. There's no excuse not to reject sin. There's no excuse not to reject sin. Mortify sin. Reject sin. Resist sin. Because God is working in you. And God is ultimately powerful. While you still live in this sinful body, you definitely, definitely can reject sin. You now are free to be obedient to God. And you're free from the power of sin because of the work of Jesus Christ. We have been joined together with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. We've died to sin and we live to God. And that is a beautiful thing. So, if you find yourself living a life that you consider sinful, then resist your sin. Reject it. Pray and ask God to help you to move forward. Because you have been regenerated. You have the ability to reject that sin. Ask God to help you. Read the scripture. Read your Bible. The means, that's one of the means that God uses to purify your soul in prayer and fellowship with other believers. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and let your life reflect your faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Uh, We have a small crowd here tonight. But I pray that this um, scripture of yours will be uplifting and edifying for everyone here, including myself. And Lord, I just pray that everyone can make it home safely. And we are thankful that we can come here in fellowship tonight um, and spend time together and consider your word, Lord. Today we heard about how they made the podium and preached the word. And Lord, for hours. And here we are in the, the nighttime considering what you say in your kingdom, Lord. Thank you so much for giving us the ability to be obedient to your word and to reject the power of sin and to reject sin in our lives. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that sanctifies us and helps us to grow. We pray all these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, sir.